Hey, welcome to the Midtown Podcast. My name is Trevor. I am the host here. And hopefully, welcome back. I hope you've been listening. Uh, But if you're new, and if you're just checking this podcast out for the first time, we are in the middle of a conversation about love. And I'm with my friend Josh Williams. And so... This is actually part two. This is the second part of a long conversation that we had uh, where it just was getting so long, I I cut it right in the middle and you're going to hop into the middle part of this conversation. So if you haven't listened to the first one, I would encourage you just to go back and listen to the last episode, uh, just season two, episode 10. We are picking up right in the middle of our conversation. And in our last conversation, we did talk about the idea that Man, Jesus doesn't really like to straight up define it. He he describes love and he lives it out, uh, and he gives a ton of different parables and and stories about what it is, and then obviously real life examples of his own of his own life. Um, but now we're, we're talking now about maybe what love isn't, uh, and and then what are the implications of not loving of, you know, not allowing our beliefs to become loving and then just not even living those out. So I hope you enjoy this conversation uh, between me and Josh and uh, let's get into it. Jesus and Paul here is, and the spirit are not calling us to be passive. They're not calling us to let people walk over all over us. That is very, very important. The goal here is health, healthy relationships with others. Having boundaries is important. Don't just be so loving, so kind, so gentle that you allow relationships to become unhealthy. Boundaries are important. So I don't, I I don't want to, I don't want to send the message that we're just called to be passive doormats. Yeah, yeah. So I saw there's a pastor named Rich Velotis. He's a pastor in Queens, mm. uh, New York, and he um, was he was thinking about this idea, and he threw out this just a simple chart four four quads, you know, just mm. a big plus sign, and on your what is this the 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 y the, axis? Yeah, um, on the top is high grace, on the bottom is low grace. Mm. Okay, okay, and on the x axis, x axis. Access. <laughs> <laughs> you also got to be careful with that. Uh, on this side is low truth, and on this side is high truth. So mm-hmm. you have high, high truth, high grace, low truth, low grace. Mm-hmm. And what's really interesting for him, on the high truth, low grace, for him that equals condemnation. Mm. High truth, low grace, condemnation. Right. Over on the other side, um, high grace... Low truth, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. High grace, low truth, enabling. Right, right. And this is one of those things, I think this is what you were just talking about. Absolutely. Is we're not called to be enabling. Oh, no. That's not love. He goes even a little further, just to throw these out here. Low truth, low grace is passivity. Mm-hmm. Like, you're just not even... Right. You're like, I'm by myself, I'm for... This feels like the Essenes kind of like, let's just withdraw and let's not be a part of anything. Right. And then you've got high grace... High truth equals love. Mm-hmm. And it's really difficult. It is really difficult. It's easier to be an enabler or a bitter uh, 
prank. prank. <laughs> I can't think of a word I could say on the podcast. Uh, cotton-headed ninny muggins. Yes. Um, can I or a jerk? I can guess. I say something yes. because you're here, and you can call me out on this? Okay. If I'm just looking at the landscape of Christianity in in America, mm-hmm. what I am seeing right now is either a high truth, low grace condemnation type right. of Christianity, which typically, oh, I do, I I am gonna say it, and you can call me out on it. Okay. Typically, I find that it's coming from a fundamental legalist, extremely conservative, and conservative is not bad. Things need to be conserved. There right. are traditions and things that need to be conserved. Absolutely. But I'm just saying, when it comes with with low grace mm-hmm. and high truth, it seems to be condemning. Or from the other side, what I'm seeing is high grace. Like, mm-hmm. it, and it's a reaction to mm-hmm. to condemnation. It's high grace, low truth, which is enabling. Right. Which is where I can find. This is why I follow a couple of of pastors and a couple of churches in Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. Mostly because Portland, Oregon represents kind of this this place that is past Christianity. They're post-Christian. And even some Christians that are there still are like post-Bible Christians. Mm-hmm. And they have rejected the, the, the condemning um, legalistic evangelical church. But they've gone so far with now there's no rules and it's almost become like humanism. Because what I can see in in a place like Idaho, I can see uh, the Christian landscape becoming more polarized and more people, you know, doubling down on on fundamentalism and then a, a strong reaction to that mm-hmm. uh, to go the other way where we're enabling every anything goes. We're right. hi, we're high grace. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. You can do anything. You can be anything. But that's not the that's at least not what I read in the gospel. No. Also, you know, you have like somebody like. So Jesus with the woman who's brought, who's caught in adultery, adultery, right? And she's brought. This is one of those moments to me that's so paramount to trying to understand love. They say, and I think this is what we've been in John. So mm-hmm. of course, um, they say, okay, she's been caught in adultery. Jesus, what do you say? And he says, he who is without sin cast the first stone. So you've got a high truth, low grace community bringing a person in for judgment. Right. Jesus says, all of you are the same. You've all been here yes. or you are here right now and you're just not admitting it. Right. They all leave because they realize. But then Jesus says, if no one's, no one's left here to condemn you, no, neither do I. Now go and sin no more. Right. And, and so he's not enabling in that moment. Mm-hmm. He didn't just say, yeah, you can do whatever. There, no, there's a way... I also want, oh, I'm talking too much right now. You're fine. I also want to say, though, it's not, I don't feel like God or Jesus is calling us to try to live this this perfect life so that we can get into heaven. It's so that we can experience flourishing right now, right? The word that I like to use is Health. Health. I love that phrase. Yes. So that we can experience health. It's not this condemning way of, of living and like you just need to live in shame your whole life. It's it's actually the opposite. I don't want you to live with shame. Right. Um, shame is a thing that's going to happen when you don't live 
th- a certain way. Right. And I, I'm not I'm not heaping that on you. That's kind of the fabric of the universe. That's the way that we're created. Right. So the way you described it, the high grace, high truth, low grace, low truth. That yeah. uh, that chart completely makes sense. Um, and I I personally really like using the word health. Do we do we let do we allow so much grace that we become enablers? No, because that's not healthy for them or for you. Yeah. Do we become passive and become a doormat? No, that's not healthy for them or for or you. For you, yeah. So some of our Christian brothers and sisters love to focus on one definition of atonement, uh, where and the idea is you have sinned, you've broken the law. And so you need to be justified. Mm-hmm. Somebody needed to pay the penalty for that. And so Jesus paid that penalty. That's a very legal kind of understanding of the atonement. Mm-hmm. But that's only one of many type of uh, atonement theory. The- well, I don't know. I like, the, I like the idea of atonement metaphor. Okay. Uh, because it's trying to describe something beyond what we can understand. It's, yes. trying, to, it's trying to give us a handle... To grip, to grasp onto what God is really offering, which is beyond what we can even imagine. So uh, good. So we have the legal one. Uh, we also have the idea of rescue. Uh, Jesus is the rescuer uh, that comes to save us. We also have the idea of redemption. We're being bought back. We're being, you know, purchased. We have value. The one that I love, and actually that the Eastern Orthodox Church focuses on, is the idea of healing. Sin is disease. And Jesus, the healer, comes and heals us of this disease. And this is a biblical idea. This is not some radical, mm-hmm. funky orthodox, a uh, different uh, different kind of orthodoxy. This, this is biblical language. It's just one of the many metaphors. But I feel, personally, I feel broken. And I don't need a judge or a legal person to take care of me. The the one that I, the the atonement metaphor that I love the most is this healing because I have I feel like I have this damage inside of me, and God reaches down and touches and heals and brings this healing. And because of that, because of my bent toward that uh, atonement uh, metaphor. I like applying that in this situation as well. The high grace, low grace. What we're shooting for is health in this. Um, our psychological health, our physical health, our heart health, our relational health. Yeah. You want relationships that are healthy. Um, I, back to my example of uh, my friend online that I just totally spun out over, which he texted me again this morning. And I spent probably 20 minutes spinning out before the spirit was just like, just let the text go. Oh, man. Let it go. You don't have to, you don't have to give him the witty, the witty answer. Yeah. But am I still thinking about it? A little. Yeah. But <laughs> trying, yeah. To, yeah. trying to do that. Um, so that brings me back to Jesus. Jesus said some really rough things to people. Uh, and so some, some of our Christian brothers and sisters feel that that gives them permission to then say really rough things to people. Jesus called the Pharisees serpents. But I want to say, yeah. he did it face to face with them. And if you continue to read the Gospel of Matthew where he said this, 
he ate dinner with these guys. Yeah. It was in the context of relationship. It was in the context of trying to bring health to a relationship, not in some sort of, I'm just shouting angry threats out at general people online. Yeah. All of it was done in the context of a relationship. And so those difficult phrases, those difficult words that Jesus was using, was an attempt to bring health to a relationship. Yeah. And I think that is very, very important. Mm-hmm. Um, can I do? Can I say something yes. though? Because yeah. when you were talking about he did this in relationship with them, I was laughing because I was just imagining like Jesus be like, "You brood of vipers, can you pass the non?" <laughs> <laughs> anyway, totally, yeah, totally. <laughs> and and that image, I think, is an example for us. Yeah. It's an example for of for us how to have conflict in relationship with the goal being health. Yeah. If your motivation is well, that's harsh. <laughs> <laughs> We're face to face right here. You could be harsh with me. Well, you no, I guess I'm thinking about Jesus with the Pharisees. Mm, yeah. If it feels like uh, you know, going to the temple scene when he's when he's throwing over mm-hmm. uh, tables and stuff. There, there's a there's a story behind the story, which is that the the Pharisees and the religious leaders are are making worship expensive for mm-hmm. people that they're not able to come into uh, this holy place and they're not able to experience God's uh, love and grace, mm-hmm. and that he is very harsh with, right? Um, because your your motivation is to keep people out right and and to keep your lofty place right uh and so for for us now this is i think this is where and i'm trying to come at it from a place of love if you're going to if we're going to try to keep certain people out and keep certain people in it that you can use some of the language from Paul but again go to the life and the teachings of Jesus that doesn't seem to add up for me mhm Jesus is just for everyone, for everyone. Mm-hmm. And he has to navigate uh, tradition and uh, and interpretation of law. And ultimately, what you said, it's like he is confronting the breakdown of relationship between any breakdown of relationship between people and God and people and people. Right. Any relationship, that's what he's about. And that's why love just really seems like it's dynamic because based on the the... Based on the scenario, love may look kind, but mm-hmm. love might also look like um, conf- confrontation. confrontation. Yeah, right. It might. All done through love. Right. All done through a different purpose of we want restoration. We want health. We want health. We, we want, want healthy health. relationships. We want health. And I think, and I, I think, Jesus's struggle with the Pharisees. Again, this is me putting a my twenty first century yeah. view on it is that the Pharisees had an unhealthy relationship with God. They thought that if they followed every one of the rules that they found in the Bible, then they were doing what God wants them to do. And it came from a very pious place. They were trying to do... I, I don't think the Pharisees were the bad guys. Right. I think they were the mistaken guys. Yes. And Jesus wanted to correct that mistakenness. God doesn't care necessarily how much of your dill you tithe, to use a biblical example. Yeah. God wants you to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
Like the like the woman that gives the yeah. small amount but gives everything she has. Just devotion. Um, total aside here, I think that our English Bible in that particular case yeah. does us no favors. Yeah. Um, oh, can, do I, <laughs> do can I have a sec? Nerd, nerd can, out. Please. Can I have a sec? This is, this is, this is, this is, <laughs> somebody taught me this and I cannot get it out of my head. I love this. So I'm going to share, uh, what is that passage? Is that, it's Luke. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Almost Try there. Luke 21. It's way later. It was Mark 12, maybe. But Luke 21. Uh, but the Luke one is the one that I yeah. think is. So you said 21? Yep. Scrolling, scrolling. Okay. So in, the, in our English Bible, uh, there is a chapter mark at chapter 21. Yep. Uh, Jesus saw, uh, and that's where we run into the, this story of the widow. Yep. Imagine 21 is not there. Okay. Imagine that 21 is not there. Because it wasn't there in the original. Because it wasn't there in the original. Uh, Let's back up. While all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses for a show and for a show, make lengthy prayer. As he looked up, he saw, saw the rich putting their gifts in the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow putting in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of, the, out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Now, we take this as the widow did something absolutely amazing here. What I believe it says in context is... The freaking temple authorities created a situation where a lady, her, the wealth, uh, where a widow, all that she had to live on was devoured by the by the system. Mm-hmm. Like this is what Jesus is preaching again: is widows being devoured by the system rather than cared and loved for. Yeah. And so she comes and takes all that she has and puts it in there, and instead of the uh, temple authorities coming and helping her. Well, I'm reading way too much into the story, but I, I, I think this is a, st- a cautionary story for us in church leadership. Yeah, to be careful how we ask people to give sacrificially. Yeah, is sacrificial giving important? Yes, there are times when that's important. But if someone is giving all that they have to the church, we're doing it wrong. Our job is to care for the widows and the orphans not take yeah. all of their money from them. We've, t- we've talked a little bit about this, like the idea of putting your own mask on, being healthy so that you can be able to give, but then you, you there's virtue ethics, I guess. You right. give so much that now you're in need. Right. And, and and for the church to be the ones to make that happen, right. or be the cause of that is... Problematic. 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 And not healthy. Right. Yeah. Oh, I love so, that. So I know that was an aside, and that's not necessarily the only interpretation of that passage. But for me, and it makes sense to me that the chapter marker there in our English Bible yeah. causes a division that is not there narratively in the text. Yeah, yeah. Again, we're not being called to be passive or to be doormats, even for the church. We should not be doormats for the church giving away all that we had. Um, we're called to act in love, mm-hmm. which includes, or which leads us to health, healthy relationships. Again, loving the way that Paul and Jesus taught us to love is more than our, just our general definition of love. 
It's a way of living life in the world. And it does, I believe, take the Holy Spirit to help us actually live it out. To go back kind of where we started with the definition, sometimes we go to language looking for spiritual depth when I believe the depth is in how we live it out. I think part of the disconnect Mm. between the various branches of the American church is how you work with Jesus. Do we accept Jesus or do we follow Jesus? I think that's a major distinction. <laughs> and one of the ways yeah. that it's been said in uh, you know in church history is uh, we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. In that is Lord, like Master. It's more than just mental assent to theological ideas. It is following Jesus. Paul says it this way: "Follow me as I follow Christ." Yeah. It, it involves living it out. It's, it's not just belief, it's action. If your beliefs don't lead you to action, your beliefs are wrong. And there's no maybe about that. There's a, I'm not going to soft pedal that one. If your beliefs don't lead you to loving action, then you're not in the path that Jesus is leading you down. When you read through, and I think this is why, I know that you and I have talked a little bit about this, and we've we've had, we even have a different opinion about like what is the Bible? And so I know for the Bible mm-hmm. project, it's a it's a unified story that leads to Jesus. Right. And you would maybe use different wording I than would, that, but that's fine. Yeah, but no, but it's but I th- I think that that we can both uh, we both agree on that last part, this the leading to Jesus, absolutely, um, as the way <laughs> and the truth and the life, right? Um, and and that and. Oh, Oh, there's so many places we could go with this that I want right. to go with this, but let's. I'm going to stop now. Let's keep going. Um, yeah, maybe this is something that we can come back to at some point because yeah. how we view scripture, I think, is important. But that both you and I believe that the love of God for us should shape us and change us and then we should be loving towards our neighbors. I, yes. We could have theological differences all day. Yeah. As what, what is that passage that we just read? This First uh, Corinthians 13. Uh, if, I, if, if I have all the right beliefs. Oh, yeah. If I have all the knowledge of the world. Yeah. If I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I have nothing. Uh, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. We are so concerned in the church about having the right beliefs that I think we miss the love. We miss the journey to love. Yeah. We miss the spirit and the process. Can I be a little vulnerable right now? Go for it. As a as a church plant pastor there's no question about this we live in an information age there's just so much information Mm -hmm. and there's so many different ways to deliver that information and read information and just it's it's never ending and and so i think what's so interesting and and challenging about church planting right now is that i think if you were to ask somebody, just just go walk down the street, and you say, "What is church?" I think a lot of people would say, "Oh, it's what happens on Sunday morning mm-hmm. in the building." 
that there's a that's a part of it, mm-hmm. and and this is where I have said it feels like we have gone away from if oh, I don't like to use these words all the time, but like orthodoxy, orthopraxy, mm-hmm. orthopathy, mm-hmm. right belief, right behavior, right attitude. Uh, it feels like a lot of churches and a lot of what church has become is this overemphasis on orthodoxy, mm-hmm. on right belief, right, and that that's that's what's going to help our society out. But when, but what you just said, now if if your beliefs lead you to unloving actions, right. yeah, we we probably need to figure that out. We need to we need to figure out what you are believing that's leading you to uh, incorrect behavior. Um, however, if you spend so much time in a classroom or so much time in in a church building or so much time trying to like listening to podcasts and reading mm-hmm. reading messages and all this stuff, and you don't do anything with it um that it seems to be well james feels right. like he has a lot to say about right. that. that's a dead faith right and and i think that's the challenge of how then then what do we do and how do we live this out in in a community in our families um especially in a world that has become so busy and then most of our free time seems to be taken up with with comfort or entertainment mm-hmm. when do we purposefully live this out or do we just kind of cross our fingers and hope that maybe maybe god will place somebody in front of us that needs help eventually or we're just you know we're waiting on that moment for for me sunday morning can be it has in the past felt like busy work because it was my job to yeah. be there it, it feels like that but i believe i've grown in my understanding of its purpose We've made it for a long time about information transfer. You're there to receive a message from the pastor and then take that out into your daily life. That's kind of the thing. And there's value in that. Yeah. But I believe Sunday morning's value is more in relationship and accountability. Um, I had a phone call last night uh, with a friend who is going through divorce, who has not come to church in several weeks because he said in through tears, I just, it hurts to have people ask me how I'm doing. Mm. And I just, I just can't really handle that. And uh, he was struggling with that. And I said, I'm gonna be at church on Sunday, second service. And when I see you walk through that door, I'm going to give you a hug and we're going to go sit down. I'll be your, I'll be your extrovert shield for you (laughs) uh, or whatever. Yeah. But Sunday morning for me now is a relationship with my friend where I get to hold him accountable, help this iron sharpens iron kind of thing, help bring health to him, um, hmm. walking into church and walking out of church without talking to anybody, I don't, you may have received some information, but you're missing the point. Um, yeah. It's a time for you to invest in me and for me to invest in you. Um, and yeah. I think that's important. Uh, so, 
uh, while I, while sometimes I, theoretically I think, you know, do we really need Sunday mornings to be the church or should we just be living like Jesus? Yes, we should be just living like Jesus, but we also need these times where we get together and hold each other accountable and sharpen each other and invest in the health of our relationships because together we are stronger than we'll ever be yeah. alone. Yeah. Well, and and again, I'm not against those times because also we spend another typically six days being conformed by the patterns and the ways of this world. <laughs> There's that too. There's that too. There is a lot of media out there trying to yes. get, a, get a place in our heads. Yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a place for transformation, which doesn't just come from, from thought dissemination, but really through relationship and mm-hmm. through... Um, Yep. Through, through holding each other accountable, man, accountable has kind of a negative connotation attached to it. And I just don't know when that started. I, I, I hear what you're saying and I, I've seen that as well. When I use the word accountable, I think of health. Yeah. Like that's, that's again, but that's my atonement metaphor that I love the most. Right. Um, I, on my own, just like I told you before, on my own, I want to be the snarky (laughs) one back. On my own, I want to go to the shady parts of the internet. On my own, I want to go to these places that are unhealthy. And so I intentionally bring people into my life that can help keep me in a spot of health. Yeah. whether it's sexual integrity, whether it's relational integrity, whether it's how I use my words. I have people intentionally in my life that I've given them permission, more than permission, I've begged them. Yeah. I want to be better than this. I want to live in the Spirit. I want to walk in step with the Spirit, and I need your help to do that with me. Yep. I've, I know I've probably shared this story before, but I my freshman year of, no, my, my sophomore year of college, I was pretty good at basketball, and I had never had a big head, but I got a big head and I didn't know it. I didn't mm-hmm. know that I was becoming super narcissistic and egotistical and all the words that you want to put in there. And one of my best friends, Eric, after a practice and after I said something to somebody else, literally pulled me out into the hallway and slapped my face. <laughs> he slapped me in the face, shocked me because this is like my friend. Yeah. And he said, what are you doing, man? That's not you. I am so grateful to him. Mm-hmm. So grateful to him. Right. Like after the pain wore away, because he re- he's strong, <laughs> he's powerful, uh, and we hugged. And I don't know if he knows that story, and I need to tell him that. Mm-hmm. But I need people in my life. I mean, you don't have to slap me anymore <laughs> if it's necessary, I guess. But we need we need those people be- to hold us to keep us accountable to becoming people of love, right? Following the example of Jesus. To go back to one of your earlier points, I believe that beliefs are important because beliefs push us towards actions. If your beliefs, if your faith without works is dead, like James said, like you said earlier. But beliefs, sometimes we hold on too tightly to beliefs, to to beliefs. Uh, For example, how many denominations are in the U.S.? A thousand. I don't At know. At least. I have no, I really don't know what the answer is. But each Hundreds. one of, each one of them is different based on beliefs. They could not get along. They could not agree. And so they separated into these various groups. They split and split and split. 
um, because they could not agree on beliefs. Jesus' prayer for the church was that we would be one. And yeah. our beliefs in Jesus have divided us like crazy. Uh, that, that, that's a problem. Um, when the church can't even live out what Jesus told us to do in relation to one another, uh, it limits our ability to impact this world. So uh, beliefs are important. Again, I think they're important, but I think uh, that we need to hold on to them loosely, loose enough that we can stay in relationship. Because well, again, what is the number one thing God wants us to do? According to Jesus, love God, love our neighbor as ourself. And Jesus goes on to say, even love your enemies. Um, love is core to all of this and the, that love should unite us and bring us to health, not divide us and bring us to fractured unhealth. I hope that you have not only enjoyed this conversation, I, I hope it's been impactful. Uh, it's been really impactful for me. In fact, as I was listening back through this, I was thinking, oh, I should actually do what I say. <laughs> I was convicting myself uh, through this podcast and realizing that I, I still have so far to go in this idea of becoming more like Jesus and becoming more loving that I still hold on to grudges. I still uh, have the tendency to think that I am always right and others are wrong. And so I hope you come back for the next episode. We, we're going to start talking then about how, how does somebody become more loving? How do we become more like Jesus? Is it through a prayer? Is it just willpower? Is it not even in our control? Is it just something that happens and maybe some people are and some people aren't and you hope for the best? So I hope you come back and we're going to talk about that on the Midtown Podcast. Podcast.